So let me add my welcome to those that have already been given. Thank you for joining us here in the auditorium and for those of you online. It's great to be gathered together as a people of God and just to celebrate all that he's done for us. And uh, last week I spoke on verse 12 and they obviously entrusted me um, to read that verse and I obviously did okay, but they didn't trust me with two verses this week. So thank you, Aurora, uh, for reading that for us. Um, It was very good for you to do that. And what we need to realize as we move forward is that Jesus is coming to the end end of his message that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And most commentators say that Jesus' concluding remarks commence in the verse that we read this evening, this verse 13 in chapter 7, and they continue all the way through to verse 27. And what is clearly evident is uh, in this conclusion is, is that there's a call to action. It isn't just enough to hear the teaching that Jesus has provided in his Sermon on the Mount. And his intention was not to make people feel good about themselves or to be awed by his wisdom and message. His intention then and his intention today is that people will be motivated, people will be called to action and we'll actually do that. His teaching becomes much more pointed and challenging to such an extent that we must make choices. He calls us to make those choices. We are driven to make a decision to put what he says into action in our lives. And as we progress with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, you'll see that the common element is this call to action and application. He constantly calls for us to choose, decide, submit to Jesus, live in obedience. And quite frankly, he's saying, don't just hear, but do what I say. And the first and initial call is contained in verses 13 and 14 that we've had read to us this evening. So let's just pause and pray. Father God, I thank you so much again that we can be gathered here or in our homes online. Lord, I thank you that we have the ability to do such things. And I thank you for the power of your word. And I just pray, Lord, I desperately need you tonight just to speak to us through your word to take this and use it for your purposes. Uh, Reveal the truth of what you're saying to us, I ask. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. The reason this is the first or initial call, like I said, is that Jesus lays out two choices. And we need to understand that there's no middle ground here. There's So many who want to straddle the fence, but it simply can't be done. It is not an option that is given by the Lord. And we're living in an age and a time where more and more people want to say that all roads lead to God. There's more than one way to get to heaven. There's many different paths that go exactly the same way. And Jesus says very, very clearly in the two verses that we've read that there's only two paths, only two choices. One of those leads to destruction, and one of those leads to life. And our eternal destiny is determined by the path we choose to walk. It may not even come down to a conscious choice of accepting or rejecting Jesus. And I think some people think this way. But our path is determined by what we do on this earth. It's by how we live. It's by what we do in this world. It's our everyday actions that determine where we will be in eternity. And Jesus' call is for us to enter by the narrow gate. And he says that initially, but he speaks more about the wide gate. Our natural instinct and desire is to be part of the crowd, to be accepted, 
to fit in, to not push against our peers, to not be seen as different. We want to be seen as normal. We want to be common or accepted by everyone around us. But if we spent any time in God's word, we know that is not his way. Verse 13 says, And by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. The word translated easy here means broad or spacious. It's limitless. It's as wide as necessary to accommodate whatever you want. It is the way of anything goes. It's anything and everything. It's all about you. Do what you want. Live how you like. It's your life, so choose what you want to do because you're calling the shots. You're the king of your life. You can do anything. You are in charge. Don't answer to anyone or anything. Don't let anyone tell you what you should be doing. Don't allow anyone to restrict what you want to do. And this life is easy. Because you have no one to please but yourself. Following this path or way is effortless. It's easy. It's comfortable. It's the path of least resistance. It's the path that allows you to drag along with you whatever you want. You don't need to leave anything behind. There's no standard called for. The self-righteous, the proud, the arrogant... All are accepted on the broad way. In fact, this path is so easy, you don't even need to make a decision to be on it. This is where we naturally are, and it feels good. There's no one to tell us what to do. There's no challenges upon our life. There's no one saying how we should live. There's no one drawing us to what we need to change in order to improve or be better, to be accepted. There's so many who walk this road. I've got plenty of companions. I've got many who are willing to go along with me. And there's no need to repent. There's no feelings of guilt. There's no real consequences for my actions. But the thing is, the whole lot's a lie. Because this is the wide gate and the easy way, which leads to destruction. And the Greek word translated destruction here can mean a few things. It's, uh, the first translation is that word waste. And uh, when you think about this translation, it's about that woman who came into Jesus and she broke the alabaster jar and the perfume that anointed Jesus. And the disciples said, why this waste? And that's the word that is used in that context. And um, it's, it's talking about a pointless loss. It's talking about something that is done without any return or value. But the other translation is about ruin, destruction, and annihilation. And this is the term that Jesus is using here in this passage. He's talking about an ultimate destiny. Those who walk the easy path and enter by the wide gate are destined for a state of complete spiritual loss and eternal ruin. It's the same destiny that Jesus describes in these passages in Matthew twenty-five forty-six, And he says, and these will go away into eternal punishment. 2 Thessalonians 1.9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And Jude 1.7 says, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, they serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. This is the judgment 
that Jesus is speaking of. This is the destruction that he mentions. And the crazy thing is, there's so many that believe the Broadway is the way to go because I'm in control. I get to do what I want. It's me who decides. But everyone on that road is being duped. You only think you're in control when in reality you're just a pawn of the devil. He isn't going to make it obvious. He's just going to be that little whisper in your ear to not listen to anything to do with those Christian fanatics, to not have anything to do with a God who's just a made-up fantasy by people. You're in control of your own destiny. But you aren't. Those who follow this path are dead in their trespasses and sins. So many who are on this path will hear something like them being trapped in their sin or whatever, and they'll deny that they even have sin. They aren't bad people, and that's exactly what Satan wants them to believe. They won't acknowledge it, but they're following him. And Ephesians chapter 2 continues to say, in which he once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And I once lived like this. And I honestly thought it was okay. I honestly thought it was pretty good, to be quite honest. And I enjoyed my life. I just did whatever I wanted. But there were times that I, I just had no peace. I felt some things that I was doing was wrong and I wondered why I thought that they were wrong. I began to have this internal battle with my mind and my thoughts and in the end, uh, it didn't seem right. There was something that wasn't actually adding up. And I didn't realise it at the time, but this was the beginning of the work of Holy Spirit. This was Him pointing me towards Christ. He was opening my eyes to the reality of my situation and my eternal destiny. And then I realised that God could offer something so much better. It was only in him I could find peace. Only in him I could find joy. Only in him I could find assurance of my salvation. Only in him could I know the hope of an eternal destiny in his presence and glory. I had to change everything. And like so many, I had to choose the hard way. And this is the hard or the narrow way. That's the way it's translated. In the original basically means that the way is hard or difficult to be entered. And the way, this way, is exactly the opposite to the broad or wide way. It's narrow. And the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And Jesus' call in verse 13 is to enter via the narrow gate. And the reason is explained in this verse, verse 14. Because this is the gate that leads to life. What may not be clear at all is that the narrow gate is Jesus himself. And we can confirm this through other passages. John 14, 6, Jesus said... I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. John 10, 9 says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and find pasture. It is through Jesus and Jesus alone that we obtain eternal life. 1 John 5, 11 and 12 says, and this is the testimony, that God, has <clears throat> God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. There's only one way to get to heaven. And that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. No other way. 
is a hard way, a narrow way. It's amazing, isn't it, that Jesus says that straight up. And when we speak to people about Jesus being the only way to heaven, people say, that's pretty narrow. There's got to be other ways. And in reality, they're saying exactly what Jesus has said to us. It is the narrow way. It's the hard way. This is Jesus saying it, and he says it's narrow. But why does he say that? Because the call is to leave everything behind. There can be no compromise. There's no wiggle room. It's Jesus' way or no way, and that way is narrow. Let's just listen to what Jesus says in um, Luke chapter 14. Luke 14, 26 to 33. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all, all that he has, cannot be my disciple. We are called to count the cost if we want to follow Jesus. If you don't love Jesus more than your mother or father, wife or husband, brother or sister, friends or family, you cannot be Christ's disciple. If we're not willing to renounce everything that we have, everything, everything, then we cannot be a disciple of Jesus. And this is an incredible contrast between the wide and the narrow gate. The wide gate which leads to destruction, requires no sacrifice at all. You'll never feel discomfort. You'll never feel pressure. You'll never feel the pain of sacrifice. You simply don't have to do it. But if you want to follow Jesus, you've got to do that and so much more. You know what is really sad? I think there's people here sitting here tonight or at home listening to us who've chosen the narrow gate, but they're unwilling to walk the narrow path. They may have said a prayer at some time in their past and it's like a life insurance policy. They've got a foot in the door and that's as far as their Christian walk has ever gone. But the life I've chosen is one where I've entered through the narrow gate and each and every day I choose to continue to walk the narrow path. It's a hard path. It's narrow and hard because... We all have constant struggles, constant confrontations. And walking in this way is choosing to walk in obedience to him, not just when it suits me, not just when what he calls me to suits or fits my agenda, but constantly. So what is his call on my life? How many are from Master Life here? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. 
For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Denying myself is about saying it's no longer about me. It is all about Jesus. I'll put him first in anything and everything I do because I'm going to deny what I want. I'm going to deny what my flesh wants, those desires, those wants, those pleasures that gratify me. I'm going to say no and I'm going to say yes to Jesus. I'm taking up my cross. I'm acknowledging that my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And I choose to follow him. And I've got to tell you, I've never regretted that decision. That doesn't mean that this has been easy. It doesn't mean it hasn't had its hardships. Every day I've had to confront the sins and temptations in my life, which I never had to bother about before I came to follow Jesus. But now Holy Spirit is living in me. He makes me aware of those things that are no, no longer pleasing to God. And he calls me to address them. And so it's constantly going back to the foot of the cross and asking for Christ's forgiveness, asking for his strength and power and ability to overcome these temptations and laying myself before him once again each and every day. And each and every day I have to wrestle with the opposition of the world. And this comes from people who don't share my beliefs, but it also comes with what we're bombarded with. Think about just as you're driving down the road and the billboards you see. You have to reject that stuff. Think of the rubbish that we've got in our TVs, that it's just there for us. In my generation, we've gone from a generation where I had to go and pursue pornography if I wanted it. I had to go into a shop and specifically ask for it, to my wife Googling Amy Grant and finding pornography instead. It's in our houses, and we have to reject that. We have to deal with this type of thing each and every day. It's in our books, it's on our TVs, it presses in on us from our peers. And the constant pressure to comply with the values of this world are always there instead of the values of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason is, the world is hostile to Christ. It's against our Lord. This world is controlled by the powers of darkness that we heard about in Ephesians 2 earlier. And for me, that means I've got to keep my guard up against an enemy which prowls about like a roaring lion seeking to devour me. It's about saying no to myself each and every day, every moment of every day, and saying yes to Jesus. It's about going against the grain of the culture each and every day. And as difficult as it is, I can tell you that there's nothing better than being right in the middle of God's will. It's not easy, but it's the only place I want to be. So what's this mean for us? I believe that Jesus is calling us to make a choice between the wide gate and the hard way. And I say the wide gate and the hard way because I think there are so many Christians who think they're following Jesus, but they aren't. Their lives are no different to those around them. They take the bits of Christianity, the bits of the Bible they can comply with willingly, and they forget the rest. They're literally living with one foot in the world and one in glory. And Jesus says you can't do that. If you're doing that, you're hostile towards God. Those things, the world is hostile towards God and trying to draw people away from him. So if you're 
participating in any of that, you're not living for Jesus. You're not living for God. And he's calling you to account. I think that is clearly evident by what we've read tonight. So you need to choose. Is it Jesus? The narrow gate, the hard way, and ultimately eternal life with Christ? Or is it the broad gate, the easy way, which leads to destruction and eternal separation from Jesus? It's one or the other. Because anything that is of the world is against God. I want to finish by reading out an extract. This is an extract of a Rwandan man from 1980. And this man had given his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he definitely believed there was no turning back once he did that. And so his villagers came to him and took him captive. And they told him to renounce Christ or they would kill him. And this is what he said. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and down with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colourless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living and dwarfed goals. I no longer need prominence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits or popularity. I don't have to be right. I don't have to be first recognised, praised, regarded or rewarded. I now live by faith. I lean on his presence. I walk by patience, lift by prayer and labour by power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable. My mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognising me. My banner will be clear. They killed him on the spot. Could we do the same? Let's pray. Father, I want to pray first and foremost, asking for your forgiveness. For the times when I have dallied in the world, when I've done things that are counter to you and your call. And Lord, I ask for myself, I ask for each person who hears my voice, that we will deny ourselves, that we will 
take up our cross daily and that we will follow you. Father, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit you give us a realisation that we can't play with our faith. We're either for you or against you. And Lord, if you're working amongst us tonight, I pray we can have conversations about how to live more for you and less for ourselves. And we can pray for each other and encourage each other along the way. This is your time, Lord. Please work in, through and around us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
have. Your communion cups with you, please feel free to begin to peel the tops. I know they can be a little bit tricky sometimes. Let me read for you from Matthew 26, verse 26. And this is the institution of the Lord's Supper. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and he gave it the blessing. He broke it. He gave it to the disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I would not drink it again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And this is what Jesus um, called us to do and this is what we're doing here this evening we're celebrating exactly the same thing as what jesus did there but not long after this jesus heads out to the garden of gethsemane and uh, we've got our little cups here jesus had his cup on the night there with the disciples and he's in the garden of gethsemane and he said to his disciples sit here while i go over there and pray and take him with him peter and the two sons of zebedee he began to be sorrowful and troubled then he said to them my soul is very very sorrowful even to death Remain here and watch with me. And they're going on a little farther. He fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not I will, but your will be done. And Jesus is talking about the cup of God's wrath. We are here tonight because Jesus' prayer was not answered. He didn't get to have that cup pass him by. He was willing to submit to God's will and he drank the cap, cup of God's wrath so we could have relationship with God, so we could be brought back into right relationship with him. The wrath that was rightfully mine, the wrath that was rightfully yours, Jesus took upon himself and I'm redeemed because of that act. And tonight we have a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice to celebrate this incredible thing that Jesus did and to remember all that he did for us. On that night, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. He said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Let's all eat together. has been read he also took the cup and he said this is my blood poured out for the sins of many let's drink in remembrance and thanks of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ father I just want to thank you again for the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to thank you that he came to this earth, Emmanuel, God with us, to live a life perfectly, Lord, without sin, so he could be that sacrificial lamb for us, that he could take my sin upon himself, the sin of all of mankind. 
to drink to the very dregs of that cup of wrath. So I could be brought back into relationship with you, God, so that we could be restored to fellowship with you. And Lord, I don't understand how or why Jesus could do that. I don't understand a love that motivates someone to do that. But I'm so very thankful. And I pray, Lord, that we will never take that for granted. I pray that your praise and lips, uh, your praise and thanks will always be on our lips. And that, Lord, we'll express that thanks, not just on days like today, on Sundays, where we come to a church building, where we have communion, Lord, but we'll express that in our every day. As we go out into this world, we'll be so moved by what you've done that we will live for you, Lord. Our lives will be a contrast to those around us. So, Lord, now as we leave this place, I ask that your face will shine upon us. I ask that you'll give us peace. I ask that we'll be aware of your presence, your power, your love and your provision each and every moment of each and every day and that we will stand boldly for you and proclaim your name whenever we have opportunity. And we pray this in Jesus' name.